Hi, friends, and welcome to All Things Relatable, a place where stories are shared. It's hard to put a value on a story because the lasting effects it can have are often priceless. An individual's story has the potential to impact our lives in tremendous ways. My hope for you in joining me today is that this episode resonates with you and that you leave enlightened, ignited, and inspired because it only takes one moment to spark a change and leave an everlasting effect. The events that unfolded on the morning of December 26, 2004 shook the world. 14 countries were hit by the waves of the Indonesian tsunami that tragically took the lives of over 225,000 people and caused mass destruction to everything in its path. My girlfriend Katie was traveling the world at the time and just happened to be in Cambodia and Phuket. Back then, we stayed in touch through email. There were no international cell phone plans or instant updates. There were internet cafes and payphones. I remember Katie emailing to say Merry Christmas and that she was going to be spending this Christmas soaking up the sunshine, hanging at the beach. And then shortly after receiving the email, the news stations were flooded with news of the tsunami. At first, no one could get a hold of Katie, and so as the death toll rose and we didn't hear from her, we were growing more and more anxious, praying for her safety. A few days later, relief flooded in when she explained that she'd made the last-minute decision to go inland. Thankfully, her life was spared, and she lived on to tell the tale. My next guest, Sarah, also survived this natural disaster, but her story's different. She didn't decide to go inland at the last minute. On that Boxing Day morning, Sarah was out wandering through the markets of Langkawi, picking out items that she would bring back to the luxury lot yacht she was working on and would be preparing for the delicious feast that night. The engines of the yacht were running and the only thing the crew on board was waiting for was Sarah's return so they could set sail. The timing couldn't have been more perfect and Sarah miraculously survived. So here to tell that incredible story is Sarah Cross. Hey, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me. I cannot wait to dive into your story. Thank you so much. It is wonderful to be here. And also, you have this personal connection to the event and the story as well, which I think makes it even more real for you. Yes, I I do think that like going through that, like I can, my mind, it, it was so long ago, but still it like brings me right back to that time when the tsunami hit and yeah, my girlfriend. And if anybody, anybody listening that knows Katie, Katie is a beach bum. And for her to make that last minute decision to not be spending Christmas on the beach was so shocking that none of us thought that. And Phuket was hit really hard and the death toll just kept rising and nobody heard anything from her. So yeah, I do. Um, I can just like, Put my heart into your story too because it it just like brings back so much emotion for me yes and when you were talking then I think what we forget is the fact that there wasn't the same internet and communication that we have today and so like you said we actually had a mobile phone with us but you know calls overseas were horrifically expensive and you know reception and all these things like it just wasn't easy but on that morning right after I remember thinking oh my family are going to be worried about us you know that like once you're okay and that was one of the first things that 
a lot of people did where we were if you were lucky enough to get reception because the other thing was I think reception was really hard because everyone was trying to call all of a sudden within a very short space of time and I remember just sending a message to calling my parents and saying I'm just ringing to say I'm okay and they were just waking up because they were the other side of the world and they said what do you mean and I said I haven't got time to talk turn on your tv I just want you to know I'm okay and pretty much hung up and that was it you know because I knew that like you said you give a few hours you let people just watch and stew and they know where you are and they're suddenly like panicking and so you just you know it just reminded me when you talked about your friend you know people the other end and and that was important Mm -hmm. and Katie went inland and during the time like there wasn't you know in Phuket and like it's kind of there's not TVs everywhere and broadcast. So she had no idea even for a couple of days when she was inland, what had even happened. She didn't even know to contact anybody. So yeah, it was, it was quite a crazy time, but like, thankfully she survived and you survived to tell your tale. So, um, I have so many questions and I think we could start in so many places, but I want to leave that for you to make the best, um, decision of wherever you think we should start. I want to start there. Yes, it's one of those days, I think, when you just remember the entire day, you know, it's the date, like, and you started off with the date, because it's just ingrained, like September the 11th, like dates in history, where there was big things that happened. And I can recall, and I think, like you said, one of the things that just sat with me for the days after and that, and even in those moments was that I had, it was Boxing Day and it was Christmas Day before, but I had made this deliberate decision not to overdrink because I knew that I had to get up super early. I had to go around these markets. It was going to take me hours because in this island in Malaysia, there wasn't like a huge hypermarket where I could just go and get everything I wanted. I had to go around all these tiny little shops to local markets and I was trying to find the best produce everywhere. And so I was just driving from A to B to C and collecting and my car was getting fuller and fuller. And the moment that I got back and I had these calls saying, Sarah, hurry up, we need to go, we need to go. And I was like, I can't go any faster. I'm going as fast as I can, you know, and I was thinking I was up early and you guys all had to sleep in and, you know, so, but the timing of literally me getting all the produce back, all the crew then like running to greet me, grabbing all the boxes out the car going, we're going to be, we're in a rush. Come on, get these unloading everything. And in this process, like the lines were released, everything was ready to go. And so I literally, they said, as soon as you've got all the produce, like out of the way safe, we're leaving. So it was all on my timing of everything. And then there was this sudden, like, watch out, there's a wave coming. And I was like, what on earth is he talking about? I was just kind of like threw it out of my head almost because I was like, I have to unpack these boxes. I have to do this. And then this huge, the boat just gave this huge rock of like, whoa, you know, like reaching to hold on. What was that? Because we were tied up in a marina. We were what I thought was relatively safe. 
but this was just such a huge movement I literally like finished off what I was doing because I I was just worried for for all these really expensive items I just purchased ran up to the the bridge the wheelhouse where you can see what's going on before you and just frozen because what was normally this marina was no longer a marina there were boats that were just there was this whirlpool that was starting to fall the pontoons the wood had literally like in a toy town where it just goes pop and boats literally had just flown in the air almost and then just sunk and so this whole like crash and, and to me even in the book I describe it more like an orchestra of this sound it was the sound of all the masts and normally boats have this constant noise of the wind but this time it was this crunching this horrific sound and there's a moment where you just your eyes just can't really comprehend what you're seeing in front of you like you know no this isn't right this isn't this isn't how it should look and then really what has happened like what was this because again there was no real notification there was no warning system it was just suddenly there and I remember then coming away obviously then there was talk then it was like okay there's been the tsunami but for us it wasn't this surfer wave it was this real force this push of a huge amount of water and water is so, so powerful. And that's what we were seeing in front of us, just this unstoppable force. And this whirlpool started getting bigger. And then we're like, oh, my goodness, is this going to engulf us as well? Which it never actually did, thankfully. Um, but as then you're like, oh, my goodness, we're OK. Are there any people out there on these boats? And we were so lucky in our marina. Um, I only think one person, a lot of the boats didn't have anyone on them. So the boats that sank, they were just empty, you know, and but the boats are then crashing into each other. They're crashing into the side of the dock. They're just all over the place. And and to me, I kept thinking, oh, my goodness, like everyone was waiting for me. The timing, if I'd have been back five minutes earlier, we'd have released the lines on the back of the boat. The boat would have been heading down this narrow channel. It would have been in the middle of what I could now see was this whirlpool of disaster, really. And as powerful as boats' engines are, often they're not powerful enough against the water. And I mean, you never know what could have happened. And I kept thinking this whole like, oh my goodness, my whole day event, I couldn't have planned it myself. Like, all the timing. If someone had said, I want you to go around all these shops and I want you to arrive at, for example, like 8.59, of course I could have done it a hundred times and never achieved that. But on this day, I arrived at the perfect timing for us to be, have our lines released, which meant the boat was able to to deal with the force of the water a lot better so it rather it could ride the wave rather than be thrown around more if the lines were tighter or even have the line snap we weren't the engines weren't off we weren't moving down this tight channel where the chances are you know we'd have been thrown against the other docks I don't know but this is something that just really struck with me throughout this whole time this kind of like what if what if I was five minutes earlier? What if all these other things, you know, and it, and it really made me realize there's so much in life that we can't control, you know, and that maybe that day 
there was somebody, something shining down upon us for which I always feel eternally grateful. Oh my gosh. That gives me full body goosebumps knowing that. Yeah. When you were out wandering through the markets that day, so you had to collect all this produce to put like this feast together. Did you feel any different? Was there something in the air that you were, when you were kind of wandering through, because you said you were getting like calls, hurry up, Sarah, come on, Sarah, we're waiting for you. Did you feel any different or was it just like an ordinary day? No, in honesty, it just felt like, you know, this is what my my job was. This is what I did. <laughs> it was, you know, um, it, I didn't have any inkling, you know, and still, like I said, when somebody, when I was boarded and it, someone even said, you know, like, there's a wave coming. And I was like, what? You know, we really had nothing, no inkling, nothing, no forecast. Yeah. Yeah. So you were in the boat, like down beneath, right. Um, putting things away. So there was people on, on board on top that could see the wave coming. So after it all happened and you went up to see like, what was that? Like, what was like the aftermath? What was the conversation between you and your, and your crew? I think there's a a moment when you're just that, like I described before that, like shell shocked. What do we do? Okay. If this is getting like, do we stay on this boat? Where's the safest place to be? Safety first. So um, my recollection is it was a case of like, the captain was like, okay, non-essential crew off the boat, you know, because if this boat gets engulfed in this mess, then it could be dangerous, you know, but he had to keep the engines running because the engines gave you power to be able to try and, you know, save, because this was a a very, you know, a multi-million dollar vessel. You also have a responsibility to try and look after that. So um, I remember that we went ashore and then there was, there was talk for quite a long time of like, do we go to higher ground? Because was this the first of, was this the smaller earthquake? Was there going to be a bigger wave? Like this unknowingness and, um, I think this this is what created, and I understand now people, um, New Zealand itself is an earthquake zone. There's this constant nervousness of not knowing what's coming. And so you're thinking, do we head to higher ground? Do we stay here? Where's the safest place to be? What's my responsibilities? But one of the first things actually that my um, a lot of the crew on board Um, two of them particular did is that you started seeing all these vessels in front of them and actually they weren't just a vessel they were somebody's livelihood everything that they owned so some of these vessels were actually people had sold everything bought a boat all their lives possessions were on the boat but they just perhaps were taking a holiday or they weren't there right now but these boats were some people's homes and to see them start to get destroyed or dragged into, you know, they they were literally sinking huge holes, ending up on the rocks. And so it took a while. And, and my boyfriend at the time and another member of crew, their first instinct was we need to get these boats out. We need to try and save some of these boats. Like once as well, you kind of thought, OK, I feel like the waves kind of not calming down. You know, like I there's, it doesn't look like there's anything bigger coming right now. And so they started jumping on boats. And I, when I say jumping, <laughs> it was 
getting on the smaller boat that we had, driving up alongside the boats that were all over the place, trying to lift their anchor, trying to break into the boat, get the engine started and take it out to sea because or take it out of our marina because actually it's very dangerous to be in a confined space with a boat because they're hitting each other. If you can take them out further to sea, the boat can just ride the waves a lot better. And so they actually spent a lot of time and that became people like once you know personal safety was okay, the next stage was like, what can we do? And that was their focus. And and even that was, you know, um, quite dangerous in itself, but they were experienced seamen. You know, they they had a lot of good knowledge and I don't think they'd have done it at the same time if they didn't feel that they could have done it and risked their 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 lives. Um, so that was really the next step after that. Wow. Oh my goodness. I can't even imagine what the scene looked like. Um, so you you're all safe. Your whole crew is safe, like thankfully. And so now you're like, what can we do? How can we help? So how long did you end up staying um, in Langkawi? And uh, what what was the next little while like for you? Um, So the next few days, I think I remember just this constant anxiety, you know, this, oh, do we go to sleep? Like then it's like, what if there's another a big wave while we're asleep so you don't really sleep well you're kind of on edge for and, and I think immediately because where we were geographically was very close to the epicenter in Indonesia when I say very close 300 miles or so <laughs> but um, at the same time we were one of the nearest foreign countries islands to the center and of course as things trickled through and as news came on we realized that actually we'd come off really mildly what we had experienced was actually nothing and in fact the wave split kind of where we were and so everywhere north and south of our location was actually worse hit they had bigger waves and so there were so many factors that I feel so grateful for that day Um, But then when you looked at the devastation of other countries and what soon became apparent was not only were all the roads down, airports, everything, but also the focus was all in the big cities. And further down the coast, a lot of these areas were getting zero relief. And so you also had these foreign vessels that were now located off the shores of Indonesia, but Indonesia did not let foreign vessels into their waters. And so it was a no-go zone. They literally couldn't go ashore and help. You had to get special permission, even in these circumstances. And so there were all these factors that suddenly came about that you know, what What about all these people down the coast that no one's helping, that haven't got any water anymore, all these things. And so because we had boats and got in contact with, there were all these doctors and nurses from Malaysia that wanted to go out and help, but they couldn't get there because the airports were down. And so there was like a, a meeting of minds where like, hang on a sec, you know, this idea of this vessels here, because next to us was 
were people who owned their own boat, big boats. And so they had the power to say, well, I don't mind going there. I'll take my boat there and I'll take these doctors and nurses, but you still needed the permission to get in. And so just by contacting and and I really don't know how and because it was not something I was involved with at the time but we ended up connecting with the Malay Red Cross um, Sikhs um, global Sikhs and they somehow found this permission to be able to get in to Indonesia which is incredible because still at that time it was only it was only the Red Cross and it was only the global Sikhs that had this permission to take boats in. And so then we were able to do that, you know, and it was just, I personally didn't go on the vessels. My boyfriend did, but the ability to do this, to actually go in and that was just a complete different scale of devastation. You know, something that I think is unfathomable. And even then, because people didn't have all the photographs and technology, it was just described to me, you know, that my husband said when he came back, um, husband later, <laughs> um, he said he looked at a tree and he said, you, you see the tree because he had this one photo of the beach and a tree. And he said, you see that tree there? And it was just this enormous tree on the beach. He said, the wave went over that tree. And I was like, oh my goodness. He said, in this area, there was an entire village. And when you looked at it, it just looked like an empty foreshore. It was nothing. You know, this wave had just come and just swept an entire village away as if it didn't even exist and there were just a little bit of strewn debris that even had the remnants uh, and most of the locals couldn't even swim so you know to then be a part of something that was able to deliver water deliver resources help the people that were down the coast that were just not receiving any aid was just incredible like because I then put my hand up, I wanted to help. I found myself helping with the resources because that's what I was good at. I would go and like get loads of groceries and food that these people wanted. And also with the accounts and helping loading the vessels and all these things. And all of a sudden I had this real fire, this passion, because you were doing something that you knew was making a difference in someone's life. You know, it was about them surviving. It was this joy of them thinking that someone else cared for them, that they weren't forgotten. And just to be a part of, of that still, you know, today, I feel incredibly proud of. Mm, I love that. And just giving without any expectation of anything in return, just like being able to be in those shoes where you can make such an impact on someone's lives by providing groceries or water or like, all the things that we, you know, take for granted or don't think about, but when you're in crisis mode, those little things are so, so, so important for survival, like to make it through. And like, thank goodness your crew was there and you all kind of got together because then those villages could have been forgotten. Right. So I have a question about your now husband. So you're a boyfriend at the time, but do you think the two of you going through this um, natural disaster together and then 
like seeing it firsthand, seeing the devastation, being part of this um, group of relief and hope for, for everybody that was there. Do you think that it's changed? I don't know, like to go through that experience with someone, like your sense of like gratitude for life or for the little things or the things we might take for granted, like has it impacted you in any way as a couple, I guess that, you know, nobody else really will, will know about, but the two of you have this together. Um, it's really interesting question actually. And it's making me think I, we both, what we both definitely have is, um, not a fear, but a deep respect for the sea for the power of the sea. And when we have looked at property, both of us feel very uneasy about spying something on the foreshore um, where it is very exposed because although the likelihood is extremely low, we know because we've seen and been there, the potential of the power of the sea. But being there, what was quite interesting is that we both have very different experiences because I was helping in the administrative logistics side. So I was kind of like on the land, supporting, helping behind the scenes, whereas he was someone who physically went out there and saw that trauma firsthand. And so it's not something because when he first got out there, it was, you know, literally bodies, no one had been out there, everything like what you really just don't necessarily want to expose yourself to. So he has a completely different experience to what I did. You know, I think for him, it was like, you did what you had to do. Whereas mine, because I didn't get exposed to that, it was more like the purposeful, joyful side of it. Like you're contributing and you feel like you're making a difference because you're not being exposed to those horrific scenes and an element of, you know, your safety. So I was very safe and organizing it from a very safe element. So we have very different views of of the aftermath in in that and helping in that respect but there are certain things like the deep respect for the sea that we both that we both will hold on to forever mm-hmm. yeah how powerful mother nature is it's a force to be reckoned with and um yeah you just don't know but your timing there like you had this experience and what you can walk away from it with, like having that experience to see the joy, be the joy for all of the other people who needed it. Like what an incredible experience. So how long did this go on for? How long did you provide this relief? Um, and I guess on the, on the Island that you were on too, was there mass destruction and a lot of death on that Island or more so just kind of like the shoreline and the boats and and stuff like that kind of knocked out. Yes, where we were was very light in damage compared to everywhere else because 
it was and this huge crashing wave so much because like I said it would have been lucky that, that it had been broken up in the outer lying islands and so I don't think there was very there was a lot of there was damage but there was very minimal human um, lives lost where we were which you know grateful because we had friends like you who were in Phuket or, or in different parts of the coast that were literally like holding on gripping to poles as the water like sucked them out and to me that is just something that is just incomparable and you wouldn't know or understand unless you were in it yourself and I think we did help out for a few weeks and what was really nice was it got to the point beyond the critical survival stage where people were then starting to think about how I rebuild my livelihood because there were so many different elements and so I think to transition and see that transition from no longer just getting you know rice and essential foods although that was there it was all about you know medical attention and that kind of thing in the very early stages beyond that it was okay seeds you know what seeds to get people to regrow things and then it becomes this I think slight glimmer of hope but there, it's so much more complicated than what you think because the seeds can't be brought in from other countries because they don't necessarily grow in those environments, you know, and they might not be the same disease resistant. And also the land was full of salt. So a lot of the areas that might have been right productive before might take a long time to be able to reproduce the plants and the crops that people needed. But then beyond that, people, there was start to be requests because one of the things that I love is that literally I would get a phone call from my boyfriend with a list that he had spoken to the local elder, the local leader and said, what is it that you want? You know, what not what do people think you need? And I think this is, was one of the greatest things about charities um, that I learned. It wasn't just people saying, oh, you know, I'm going to look in my cupboard and see what I think I want to give away. It was what do these people specifically need? And it was quite funny, actually, when I first started off, because the first provisioning that we sent out, I just went to the local grocer and I was like what do you think I should put in and together we collaborated and this was a Malay Chinese and we we packed a whole load of food and we sent it off and what came about was there was quite a bit of the food that we packed in there that they didn't normally eat because of course this was Indonesia and we didn't know really what Indonesians eat and so there was then came back of this list of I like, oh, and I can't remember specifically, to be honest, but it was like, for example, oh, they don't eat potatoes, you know, oh, they don't eat this. They want, you know, they want Dorian, they want local foods, they want this fruit and that. And it was like, oh, but it was so lovely to be able to do that, to be able to give this specific list. And then later on down the track, it came for things like, can we have sewing machines? You know, so this idea of, okay, what can we do? We need to like remake or mend our clothes, but also this becomes a source of income because if we can make clothes for people, we can sell them. So how can we rebuild our lives? And seeing that transition of the list of requirements changing was actually something that was so beautiful and I was so, so blessed to be a part of. Wow. And I love that you bring that up that, you know, sometimes we think that in these you know, tragic situations that 
there's the, the relief that happens immediately, but then there is like the re, um, the rebirth or like the starting over, like, how do you really, some people whose whole lives, you know, their, their homes, their families, their belongings that are just kind of swept away. Like it is a long process to rebuild or start again. So that is so cool that you got to experience that the list changing from, mm. you know, the essentials. And I love how you checked in. Cause yeah, so often we might think like this family is in need of this. This is what we're going to donate or give to them. But it's like, yeah, by just asking the simple question, what is it that you would like? It totally changes it. And to be able to fulfill that mm. and uh, know how much it probably meant to the people on the receiving end. Like, I can't even imagine that feeling that you could just ride on forever, knowing that you're just making such a difference in all these lives in just such simple little ways. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I never got to meet any of these people who received the goods, but I did have this little picture of like, oh yes, you know, can you imagine when this crate arrives and it's exactly what they wanted on their list and this is what they want to nourish their family with and it's somebody's listening to them. You know, they're not a nobody, they're not an unknown because their voice matters and what they're asking for, people are listening the other end and they're getting it for them. And I just like to think that would have been the most beautiful gift. Mm-hmm. I want to go back. Um, this question kind of popped up. How did you end up on this multi-million dollar yacht on an island for Christmas? What was it that brought, I guess, you and your boyfriend on the same yacht? How did you end up there? Um, yeah. <laughs> How far do you go back? <laughs> um, <laughs> Interestingly enough, if I go back to the point where we met, which was in Spain, and at the time I was teaching English as a foreign language, and I didn't know, because again, before social media, before internet, like I literally, I don't think I'd ever seen a super yacht. I don't think I'd ever seen one of these boats before. And I got to Spain and I was like, oh my goodness, like, look at these, that, and and this is a job. Like people get paid to do this on, because I thought I was going to travel the world teaching English because that at the time was in all the guidebooks. You know, if you want to go travel the world, you teach English as a foreign language, you go volunteer somewhere, there, you know, there were there's several options, but there was never like go work on a super yacht. Um, and so quite quickly I realized that, Ooh, I think this might be a better option. <laughs> um, one was financially, you know, like I was struggling to make ends meet and I could see from the people around me, but they weren't struggling quite as much as what I was, you know, and you get to travel in style. And so it wasn't something that happened overnight. You know, you do it. I was grateful because I knew him and he was definitely a door into knowing people and places, but you also don't just get a job because of who, you know, you have to prove yourself as well. And so it took a while. And I, I had that uncertain time when ever you leave a job and it was that what if you know so I literally had to say no to the other job because they have to know in advance and and you have to say yes for a year um and then looking for work and it was sporadic at first and um, because you have to get the experience 
but I did, you know, and then we ended up getting that job together. And we just, to be honest, we thought, you know, we'll be in Europe, which is where we were. And that all worked out until the owner of the boat decided that he wanted to move it to Southeast Asia. And we were like, oh, that that wasn't on the agenda. (laughs) That's not what we were planning. But of course it was like, well, why not? Um, And so, but it, it was just a great, we were out actually for a couple of years in that area, Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, um, and it really opened our eyes to different cultures. And one of the things I loved about where we were in Langkawi as well, a lot of um, Muslims in the area, and to date, to to that point, you know, I had this very stereotypical image of what a Muslim looked like, what they said, what they did from what was given to me in the media. And here I was interacting and meeting these local people. And I was like, oh, you don't, you don't you fit what I thought you were meant to do and say and everything, you know. And of course, everybody's, we're all just people, you know, and same fears, same ambitions, same everything. And so it was really nice to kind of really connect with the locals because we were there for two years and to understand different cultures and what was important to them and that was one of the blessings I think and and what we loved about experiencing different culture and different people Um, and it was it's one of the joys now that I love as well of traveling. Mm -hmm. What a beautiful gift to be able to get that firsthand and I know like you say the stereotypical, like, unless you actually get in to the heart of the culture, then, you know, sometimes those stereotypes just ring through until you see it first, firsthand. And in this, um, I think another thing too, that, that just pops in my mind is about like natural disasters or, or like, I guess not even that it's just like, everything is out of our control. Like you said, and we know that, And it doesn't matter if you're on a like $5 million yacht or you have like a little tin fishing boat, like you both can, it doesn't protect you having a lot of money or not from, you know, different experiences and situations that, that arise and happen to you. Like you don't, you know, it's great to be successful and be able to do the different things you want to do. But at the end of the day, you're, you're not leaving with this pocket full of money or success in that way that I just think it's so cool that you through your experiences and your travels get to actually experience like human to human connection with a variety of different cultures and really learn, um, what it is that's so important to them and get to share that experience. Mm. Yes. Absolutely. And the barriers get broken down as as well in the process of really having those good conversations with different people. And I remember it was actually um, one of the local guys that we got to know quite well. And we talk, you know, about um, his beliefs and different Western, you know, Christian beliefs, Muslim beliefs. And I remember him always saying, you know, that really it's all about love you know we're all looking at the same thing but just from different angles we're all almost tuning in to the same thing but we just describe it in different ways you know and this was 
I just love this perspective of opening my eyes to something of like oh my goodness we do have so much in common everywhere we go and that you really only get to seize that when you have these conversations with people from who grew up in different backgrounds different cultures different environments and I just now I love it because it's it's there's variety and juiciness in our differences you know and it and it brings things alive and makes things interesting but at the same time realizing that we're all really after the same things at the end of the day and we have so so much in common um you know I love that Hmm. Yes. We all have a common, common thread. And I love, yeah, the differences, like you said, I love that word. It's the juiciness. It just like brings like a vibrant, different, um, I don't know, variety to life. And that, I think that's the spice of life is variety, right? Yeah. That difference. So, um, so after you provided this, this relief, um, you gave hope you like were that you basically were, were the, the answer to so many people's prayers that had survived um, and provided for. After this, what did it look like? Did you get back on the yacht and keep working? Did you, like, what came next? We actually ended up, um, there were quite a few changes that came after that. And we just decided shortly after that, a few months after, it was time to take a break. It was time to do something different. Um, it didn't quite pan out in the way that we thought because, but we just both felt that it was the right time to then leave that vessel a few months after, you know, I think, and because there'd been so many emotions and so many things tied up into, okay, we now can see what's really important in life, you know, and you really never know what's around the corner that there are so many things like you said beyond our control is this what we want right now and we made the decision that we both felt like we wanted a change which meant leaving Asia leaving the vessel and and that was the right timing I think for us Um, because there was a period then when it felt almost like this just feels pointless you know when you've done something that feels so pointful and feels so valid and feels so important and you're making such a difference to go back to just doing something not mundane but that doesn't feel in the same way so it, I think it was right and we needed that change to just take a moment to step back and then rethink about what our next step was. And when you say, then you thought about like, what, what is it that's important? What comes to mind? Like what was at the forefront of like, what is important for you? Um, I think the, the importance thing was that you're doing things that actually bring you joy that you enjoy, you know, like if you're actually doing something day in, day out, and then you're like, you know what, I'm not enjoying it. Now that's that's your your voice in your head is telling you something. It's saying, well, maybe it's time for a change. You know, not that you have to change everything, but maybe something, something in your life to just bring in more joy, more of whatever actually lights you up and makes you feel excited about life, makes you feel like you're doing something different or doing something that's important for you. You know, any of those elements really. But I think if you start to think in your own head you know what, I don't think I'm liking this. Just listen to that voice and look at what you could do to maybe 
change that. Mm, yeah, that's such a a powerful lesson that sometimes <clears throat> sometimes we do it to get to the next point, right? We're in this season, we're doing it and grateful for it because it's helping us to get to the next step. But when you live through something like you had and then you were able to show up in this way that just provided like, you know, that purpose um, to then go back, take the step back to what you're doing. Like sometimes, yeah, going back doesn't feel right. Like what is the next step forward? If it, if it doesn't feel right, I feel like a lot of people get stuck in that, like just doing what they're doing um, just because I don't know if it's the word is easy, but just because they've always done it where it's like, you know what, is there, is there something else that might be more fulfilling and yeah, feel better to be spending my time on? Yes, absolutely. And I think it's so easy and our brains are designed for that, that to just, you know, oh, do we try something different? Oh, but then all these fears and all these, um, limitations come in as like it sometimes just feels better to be in the stuckness of where we are than actually try something new and I think that you use that perfect word before like moving forward I think if we don't have that feeling that we're moving forward in any area of our life or in one area whatever it, it just it doesn't feel so good. Like as humans, we are designed to evolve our world. And I think everything, the, it blows my mind when I think how fast everything is spinning. You know, the earth is spinning and the earth is spinning around the sun and everything's moving. And yet we think it's okay to just stay still. And I always like to be reminded of that is like, we're designed to change. We're designed to evolve. We're designed to. And if I think that is what, sits heavily on our heart is when we don't feel like we're making progress or moving forward or learning and this event was just so powerful to me because I really literally woke up feeling alive feeling lit up feeling so purpose-driven that it stuck with me and then even though I went to do other jobs other roles nothing really seemed to like drive me as much as that time did you know? And so it did create this sense of, I know what it feels like when you're doing something like that. And it has actually only been, I think recently that I've, oh, I remember that feeling, that feeling when you're like doing something where you feel so alive that I've stepped into what I'm doing now and coaching and it feels so purpose-driven. And it really has reminded me of that incredible emotion when you are doing something where you feel so lit up so that you're making a difference in someone else's life and that you're contributing. Mm -hmm. So important. And I like that was 2004 when that happened, it's 2022 now. So there's been a lot of years that have, that have come and went and you've tried different things. And so you know, life is this journey that it doesn't have to be like this instant knowing it can be this trial and error because it leads you closer and closer and closer every time, but you have to try something. So you're now at this point where recently you just said you're coaching and you're coaching people in storytelling and it's bringing you back these feelings that are like, oh my gosh, this is what it feels like 
again. So um, tell us a little bit about the coaching that you do with storytelling and, and how you work with, with uh, your clients. So it's something that definitely has been a case of seeing when you look back. And I know that Steve Jobs in one of in his commencement speech, he referred to the idea of sometimes we don't know the choices that we make in life until we kind of turn around and we can see the dots in hindsight. And I feel quite a lot like that. And of course, writing this story that we mentioned for the book, Ignite Your Wisdom. And I also did an earlier one called Ignite Happiness. And when you take an element, a part of your life and experience, but then when you have to craft it into a story that actually someone else will take something away from, that becomes a message. And also that it is interesting that it ignites curiosity and all these elements that you actually realize there's a craft in storytelling. And so beyond that is it's just in so many elements. And I never really realized this until I started looking at my own life from the teachers that have really brought learning alive to the way that I have traveled. And, and as we were saying, when you travel, you get to meet different people from different cultures. And so they expose you to these incredible stories that make you stop and listen. And so what I realized is I'd been collecting all these stories, which I then love to tell, but not everybody has ever thought about this. And I know growing up, I was used to love maths you know, statistics, facts, information. And I think this is what happens as well before the internet because everybody wanted to be right. Everyone wanted to have that information and, and prove this. And people don't necessarily want to be proven that they're wrong. In fact, I don't think anyone wants to be proven that they're wrong with some statistic or fact, but, you know, I was, I was really good at that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not the way to kind of build that deeper connection. It's not the way to really reach out and, and grow relationships. And what I've realized over the years is that it's stories. It's stories that really draw people in. And I think now more than ever that we're craving that deeper connection because there's now an overload of information. We can find anything we want to at the drop of a hat by pressing a button. And so that's available everywhere. But the art of being able to tell a story, being able to tell your story. And, and people are suddenly like, well, I don't have a story, but of course everyone has a story. And I think we don't even often know people's stories close to us. You know, we don't know those underlying journeys that people have been through to get to where they are. And as I've been on this journey myself, I have been reading into the stories throughout history because there were all these characters who we just knew one little element about how great and successful they were, we were, they were. We didn't know, I didn't learn about all the struggles that they went to through to get to where they are. And so everywhere I look now, and particularly with podcasting, you know, the first time I reached out to someone to help um, which started my storytelling journey with someone who didn't like the sound of their voice so much but I honestly think no one really likes the sound of their own voice you know it all sounds a little bit weird 
but sometimes we don't get enthused with the sound of our voice because we're trying to, I think, divulge information, give advice. Whereas you listen to anyone who just went to the most fabulous restaurant and they're dying to tell you about this experience and how wonderful the food was or how they went to this amazing country. Maybe they went to Africa and they saw these animals and suddenly people's energy comes alive and you get sucked into the emotion of the situation and the story just pops. And then from there, you know, you develop questions and it deepens relationships. And so this is what I've realized is that I'm very passionate about this. And I just want more people to bring in their stories, talk about their stories and use other people's stories as a way of connecting rather than, you know, information. There is definitely still a place for information and statistics. Absolutely. But I think if you really want that intimacy that authenticity then stories are the way to go um absolutely i love that all and yeah i love hearing stories sharing stories and you really do get to know who someone is to a deeper level from from storytelling from them sharing their stories it like brings you a deeper connection and that intimacy that we all crave and want and the the connection. I have a title for your next book. Before we got on the call today, I'm like, I feel like I could write a story for this next book that Sarah's going to put out and it should be called this. <laughs> I think this is what popped in my mind. I'm like, ignite your passion. Because I think that's what you what you said before about when you were helping and you were in that situation in the aftermath of the tsunami, like you were lit up, you were alive, that passion, like you can't fake that. That's like, it just takes over now that you're here and you are doing something, you are helping coaching people to share their stories. That passion inside of you is igniting you. And like when people are passionate, passionate about what they are doing, how they're serving, they are are just like a different energy. And I feel like you could even write that story in your book about you, um, the storytelling, because you can tell like that passion that is ignited through doing something that just feels so aligned. So I love that you're, you're helping people to craft and, and put their stories together so that they can share with the world. Cause I just believe that stories are so powerful and that we can, people can get so much out of stories and they, they need to be shared. And like you said, some people don't even realize like they have these stories that they just think, Oh, well, that's just like my life or my experience, but that so many people would just be in awe of or connect to, or feel like they'd, they would know them. Um, and feel more connected to them in a deeper way, just through the sharing of them. So I love that you are, you're doing that and you have these two books out. So where can everybody find your books? You also just released a podcast. You've got an episode out, but that is something that you're working on. So people can listen in to your stories that you share in there. And they're incredible. I love, I listened to the first episode 
And I mean, we could do another episode just on that story, which is incredible. So go check out the podcast and listen in there, but where can people find your books, your podcast, um, you to connect with you, to share their stories, to figure out how they can work with you and all of the things. Okay. Firstly, I just want to acknowledge that I absolutely love that idea. Ignite your passion. Um, Ignite the company. The founder, J.B. Owen, is just incredible. And she's always open to suggestions. And if anyone feels a passion that they want to write a story to be part of a compilation book, then they should definitely get in touch with Ignite. And Ignite Your Wisdom, actually, the spark of the idea was from me. You know, that title was something that I approached her about and we together, you know, went on the idea of Ignite Your Wisdom and then she is just an amazing person to kind of pull everything together. So, you know, I think we should also listen to those ideas. I think Ignite Your Passion is an incredible title. So you never know. Absolutely. So both of the books, Ignite Your Wisdom and Ignite Happiness, are available on Amazon for people to download. And what I love about that company is that they're so heart-centered. So the books that are on Amazon, all those proceeds will go to building a school. It's called School of Hope in Cambodia, that they are really reaching out and trying to make a difference for people. Um, across the world who just don't have the same opportunities that we have so you know every book that's bought is going to the most phenomenal cause Um, on top of that I myself you can contact me at sarah at thestorytellingart.com I have a website but the storytellingart.com but if you want to reach out to me personally with a question or find me on Facebook at Sarah Cross I am more than happy to connect with people answer their questions um, because I love building relationships with new people and you know helping other people find their story Mm, I love it all I love it all I'm so grateful that we got to hang together for this hour and before we sign off I have one last question so you survived the the tsunami. You lived to tell the tale. Now looking back, is there one lesson or one piece of advice or wisdom that you can now look back at that you'd want people to think about or that you have brought with you or how you've changed the way you show up to life? Is there one or two things that, that come to mind? In my book, Ignite Your Wisdom, at the end, we had to put action steps. And the ones that sprung out from this story that were really powerful to me is that, yes, I went through this huge experience, but we all have this opportunity every single day to reach out with kindness You know, it doesn't have to be signing up for the biggest charity, working as a volunteer, dedicating your time. It doesn't have to be something huge. You know, just the simplest things in life can make such a difference in someone else's life. You know, if you're waiting in a queue at a supermarket and the person standing there, you don't know what they've been through that day. You don't know what they're doing. But, you know, to make a compliment, to look at them, to acknowledge them and to say, hi and then say oh my goodness I love that dress you're wearing it really looks great on you to see someone smile 
to see them light up because someone in that one moment took the time to care and to notice them can mean so much more than I think we ever really acknowledge. And that is the thing is that kindness can come in all shapes and sizes. And that I think every single day, we all have that opportunity with the interactions and the people that we meet to just make someone else smile. And that's it. That is, that is it. Kindness will change the world. And it's those small moments um, that really do have such a ripple effect. So thank you so much for joining me. I've absolutely loved every second of chatting with you. And I can't wait to see what comes next. I can't wait for this, this next book, <laughs> Ignite Your Passion. Because like, can you imagine like all the things that people are just so lit up about and are passionate about to be packed in like a book? I feel like it would just vibrate on the table if it was stories of people that were just ignited by living their passion day in, day out. So you're incredible. Thank you. And uh, make sure you connect with Sarah, you can find her on Facebook, check the the show notes for all the links. And in the links, there is like a bonus questions, 20 questions that Sarah has added. So you can go check those out too. And, um, yeah, we'd love to know what you thought of the episode. So make sure you send us a DM or tag us on the Instagram or send a message through Facebook. So thank you so much again. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of All Things Relatable. If you know someone that would relate to this episode and get value from it, please pass it along. Also, if this episode resonated with you, I would love for you to rate, review, and subscribe.